Welcome to Pound the Rock, the Scores NBA podcast. My name is Joseph Cacharo, and I'm joined, as always, by fellow co-host Joe Wolfon. Yo, yo. My God, do we have an absolute classic of an NBA Finals game to talk about. Before we do that, I will remind our listeners that today's episode is presented by Volkswagen. Whatever your definition of family is, there's an SUVW that suits it. Joe. Yes, sir. We came into tonight, uh, I guess people listening to this, it'll probably be Saturday morning, but we came into tonight, Friday night, absolutely convinced the series was ending, the season was ending. I was prepping my Lakers or Champions uh, written feature for the score app users to consume. I know you were working on uh, eulogizing the Heat's remarkable season. And honestly, the Heat went up, what, 11 at one point, multiple times in the game. They had, you know, a, a multiple possession lead with a few minutes left at one point. And at no point did I think the Lakers were losing this game. LeBron put them ahead in the final minute a couple times. At the end of the day, man, in, in what was an absolutely unbelievable showdown between Jimmy Butler and LeBron James, two ridiculous finals performances. We can squabble over who had the better game, I guess, production-wise, but Jimmy Butler comes out on top. The Miami Heat come out on top and live to fight another day. And now we get into a situation where, you know, the Lakers are obviously should still be heavily favored. You know, they, LeBron just needs to win one of two games. But the Heat are at a point where, who knows, maybe a few random things happen and they're that close to forcing a game seven where you're really in on anybody can win situation. We're going to talk a lot about Jimmy and LeBron. So it, other than that, was there anything else you saw that really stood out to you that you want to talk about off the top? I mean, we can talk about Markeith Morris being inspired by the Henny God. Yeah, I, we can get into the kind of the final possession or just like the last, the frantic last couple minutes of the game because they were crazy in, in both directions. And, you know, to your point, I, I wouldn't say that Jimmy Butler came out on top in this game if we're kind of framing it as a one-on-one duel between him and LeBron, because LeBron was ridiculously good. I mean, this was truly, I mean, if the Lakers win this game, like that goes in the pantheon of his all-time great finals game. Like he he was spectacular. And I think it was really the supporting cast that let him down. And and I do think part of that was the fact that AD got hurt like midway through the second quarter, I think. Re-aggravating a heel contusion. Yeah, he he got kicked in the heel or something and he was... It seemed even like in the fourth quarter. Robinson's knee. Right. It was like his foot was kind of kicking up as he was coming down with the rebound or something. Um, And then it seemed like, you know, he got tangled up with KCP in the fourth quarter and that seemed to make it even worse because he was really hobbling around toward the end of that game. And, you know, Davis had, had, you know, even after kind of initially re-aggravating that injury, didn't seem too much worse for the wear. Like he continued to have a pretty spectacular game. I thought his defense especially on Bam was unbelievable. Like he completely erased Bam at the rim and was getting cooking offensively too, just hitting a ton of mid-range jumpers. And toward the end of the game, he just wasn't really able to make an impact. And outside of him, LeBron just wasn't getting help from anybody else. So I really don't think that this falls on LeBron at all. Like he's really only the the only reason that the Lakers were close in this game. His his pull-up three-point shooting was just continually keeping the Lakers in it until they were kind of able to put a run together and go ahead in that fourth quarter. LeBron made KCP, six threes. Made six threes tonight. And I think I think every single one of them might have been off the dribble. I believe like there were correct. a couple step backs mixed in there. And the Heat obviously, you know, ducking under screens against him as they've done for the last few games in order to kind of dare him to take those shots. 
And that is what you want LeBron to do ultimately. Like if you're forcing LeBron into step back threes, I think you've done a pretty good job. But in this game, you know, that wasn't good enough. And he managed to hang 40 on them along with 13 rebounds, seven assists, three steals, 15 of 21 shooting. And he was a plus seven in his 42 minutes. But unfortunately, they got outscored by 10 points in the six minutes he sat. I think, you know, obviously part of this comes down to just a poor performance from the Lakers supporting cast in general. And a superior performance, I think, by the Miami Heat supporting cast. And and the biggest the biggest standout there, obviously, was Duncan Robinson. And it isn't just the seven threes, but, you know, obviously the seven threes are quite nice. But I just think the physical toll required of what, he, you know, he has to do on both sides of the ball is really immense. And it's really impressive when you just watch and see how much ground he has to cover. Because on one end of the floor, it's like LeBron is going at him pretty much every single time down. And he's having to hedge and recover to stay out of those switches and travel a pretty significant distance to get back to his man after hedging out to LeBron and trying to keep him from turning the corner. And he's doing that almost every defensive possession and every offensive possession. He is just sprinting up and down, coming off of screens. And even if he's not getting the ball, because, you know, a lot of the time KCP, who was his primary defender, was doing a really good job hounding him around screens, not letting him get the handoff. In the event that he did take the handoff, a lot of times the Lakers, you know, the screen defender is jumping out at him. And, you know, by virtue of the threat that he poses, especially in a game when he was wet and knocked down those seven threes, it just opens up so much else for Miami's offense. And like so many times, the good stuff that they got, uh, you know, whether it was Butler or whether it was Bam, was the result of him drawing that defender up to the level of the ball. And then, you know, whether it's like a keeper for Bam or Jimmy on the handoff, or whether Robinson is taking the handoff and managing to hit one of those guys on the slip and they're getting a four on three out of it, his gravity has just like had such a profound impact on their offense. And, you know, you tack on the 26 points that he scores and the fact that he's just able to somehow have the energy to keep running around at the end of a game in which he's done nothing but run. And I think that was, you know, outside of LeBron and Jimmy Butler, probably the most important performance that happened in this game. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, Duncan Robinson's impact on this game was immeasurable. And like you mentioned, it wasn't just the seven threes. I still think that the overarching story here, it's Jimmy Butler again. His game three performance felt like a once in a lifetime finals performance for most stars. It was one of the best, probably five finals performances ever. And we talked about all the crazy numbers after that game. You know, how the 73 points he created was like the second most ever in a finals game and finished with 40 and 13. And he dragged that team to the finish line and, and got them at least one win in the finals. Well, it turns out it wasn't really a once-in-a-lifetime performance. It was a twice-in-one-week performance. Because he ended up in this game, which, by the way, I had to double-check it because I, I thought I read it wrong the first time. Jimmy Butler played 47 minutes and 12 seconds in this game. 47 minutes and 12 seconds. Scored 35 points on 11 of 19 shooting. Got to the free-throw line 12 times. Grabbed 12 rebounds. Added 11 assists, had five steals and a block. Can you comprehend that? To play 47 minutes and 12 seconds 
of high usage, high leverage basketball while taking on often the biggest defensive assignment on the other end, which by the way was LeBron James for a, a, a you know large stretches of the game. I know there were times Bam had LeBron and down the stretch people were calling for Bam to guard LeBron, but Jimmy Butler took that assignment a lot tonight. And he did it while carrying an absolute load on the offensive end. And I just think there is not enough we can say about what he's done in this series. And obviously, two of the last three games especially, where <laughs> like he's dragged this comically overmatched team, especially when Bam was out and obviously would drag it out the whole series. But he's dragged this comically overmatched team to the precipice of almost a winner-take-all situation against a LeBron and AD-led Lakers team in the finals. It's it's astounding. And I agree with you about the point that, you know, I don't think he necessarily one-upped LeBron. Like, just because the Heat won, it doesn't mean Jimmy necessarily got the better of LeBron or was better than LeBron. But, man, he went basically as close to blow-for-blow blow as another human being can go with LeBron James when LeBron James is playing at this level. And he's done it twice in the last week, taking nothing away from Duncan Robinson and how immeasurable his impact was on this game. I just cannot say enough about what Jimmy Butler has done over the last week. Yeah, I mean, there there are only so many superlatives you can use, <laughs> right? And I think maybe if we had seen this performance coming, we might have saved some um, and, and not thrown so many out after game three. But all the same ones apply like this. This whole finals is a legacy-making performance from Jimmy Butler. And I think, you know, even before the finals, you could have called this a legacy-making postseason for him, just getting over that hump. He'd never been to the conference finals before. As much as, you know, I said coming into the series that I felt like Bam had been the Heat's best player throughout the postseason. I mean, I still believe that. I think in a lot of ways, like, this is still Jimmy Butler's team. He is still you know their primary ball handler for the most part he's still the guy that they're turning to in the tightest spots and asking you know him to create for them he is still probably the strongest most vocal leader on this team and i think even to have gotten to this point w was something that was going to change his perception and change his legacy forever and for him to have done what he's done in the finals with like you said a, a team that is overmatched on paper at least in terms of you know just true talent level and the guys that have been missing for Miami and what they're up against it's just been some of the gutsiest basketball that we've seen and I, I mean you know you you mentioned the stats which in a strange way like don't even fully capture it just because like Butler plays such a punishing style of basketball and it's not like he can fall back on a pull-up three-pointer when the Heat just need a bucket and their offense is wheezing. And it was. I mean, in that fourth quarter, when the, it seemed like the Lakers were maybe going to start to pull away, I think they had, what, did they have a, a four-point lead at one point? Maybe it was only three points, but like it felt like more because the Heat yeah. hadn't scored in a while and everybody looked exhausted and their offense was just totally devolving into one-on-one -on -one play and the off-ball movement that makes their offense so good and pretty like had totally ground to a halt. And it was just like, wow, I think they really don't have anything left. And it certainly seemed at that point like the Lakers were going to be able to get across the finish line. And it's at that point that that Butler kind of, 
refused to lose. And I think from that point forward, he scored or assisted on 11 straight Miami points. And the only way for him to do that is just to force the issue, like get to the basket every single time, get himself fouled or score at the rim or draw enough attention to kick out to an open shooter. And, you know, to, to be able to continue doing that after playing all but 48 seconds in an extremely physical game that was going up and down too. I mean, the Lakers were out and running almost every single time the Heat missed a shot. And Butler is also, you know, the primary on LeBron James at the other end of the floor. And down the stretch, it's like him and LeBron going bucket for bucket. With about three odd minutes left, Jimmy, he stripped Alex Caruso under the basket, went coast to coast, got what seemed to be an and one layup, but the bucket got waved off. No continuation granted, even though it looked like it ought to have been a continuation. But later that possession, he drives, kicks out to Duncan Robinson for a three. Braun comes back, gets an and one layup, give the Lakers a one point lead. Butler comes back and hits a short jumper over AD, give the Heat the lead. LeBron comes back, grabs his own miss, puts it back up and in, gives the Lakers the lead. Butler gets fouled, going to the basket, hits both, gives the Heat the lead back. Heat play a great possession of defense, force the ball into KCP's hands on the wing. He shoots a contested three. It's an air ball, but it goes right to AD. He gets the put back, gives the Lakers the lead. And then Butler comes back. And and this was, uh, you know, I thought, first of all, a really great screen from Jay Crowder because LeBron is guarding Butler and AD, who, who has taken the bulk of the assignment, you know, for the last couple of games, wasn't really able to do it because he was hobbling around at the end. And Crowder, who has Markeith Morris on him, comes up to set the screen and sets like a really good, solid, flat screen on LeBron that he can't go underneath. And Morris had kind of come up to play it on the wrong side. Butler goes the other way and AD has to come over and help at the rim, winds up fouling Butler. And again, he hits both. Like he went 12 for 12 from the line and, and six of those were extreme high leverage free throws at the end of that game and gave the Heat the lead they would not relinquish with those last two. So it was like it was exhausting to watch, honestly, the back and forth and how much it was clearly taking out of both guys. But just a privilege to be able to watch two unbelievable competitors, you know, on the biggest stage do. I don't even know how to describe it. I mean, it was an all out war and it was uh, it was one that I'm going to remember for a long time. The moment I'll kind of remember in terms of watching how exhausted they were and almost feeling exhausted watching it was, it was after one of Butler's and ones in the final couple minutes that I think put the heat up one and he kind of was like keeled over, over the board uh, behind the baseline where the, uh, the, the mop guys sit and uh, he was keeled over and Eric Spolster called a timeout. To, to let him catch his breath. I actually think it w- might not have been an and one. He might have just drawn a foul. But anyway, before he took the free throw, Spolster called a timeout because Butler was just so visibly gassed. And yeah, to just close it out, given how on fire his lungs must have been in his legs. It was incredible. You know, I remember back in high school, I had a, a cross country coach that it was super cheesy, but I used to say that when your legs give out, you run with your heart. And uh Definitely, you know, among the cheesiest, most sports cliche things you'll ever hear. But also, like, if there's a guy right now that probably embodies that spirit, it's probably Jimmy Butler because his legs and his lungs had to have given out long before the last of his 47 minutes and 12 seconds of game five action tonight. And yet, there he was pulling it out at the end against the LeBron Light team. What's up, Pound the Rock listeners? 
Just a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to Pound the Rock on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also check out The Score's other sports podcasts. For Major League Baseball, there's Expand the Zone. For soccer, we've got Sweeper Keeper. Puck Pursuit has you covered for the NHL. And the Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone covers, you guessed it, fantasy football. And in case you haven't already, download the Score app, available on iPhone and Android. That's where you can find all of our feature content, as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. Now back to the show. A few things I want to touch on, other than the that possession that we are going to talk about where Markeith screwed things up, is, you know, in Game 4, the Lakers had success, and I know I've railed on this all season, but they had success, you know, going smaller, or having AD at the 5, and so much so that in the second half of Game 4, they actually started Markeith Morris. And I even wrote in our takeaways after that game that, you know, based on how Dwight kind of struggled in that game and how good the Lakers were with not just with Morris on the court, but like with AD at the five again, that maybe now with them going to close it out, that this was going to be the end of Dwight's minutes. And, you know, he had given the Lakers positive contributions all year. And now it just kind of made sense. Like, let's close this thing out. If you're the Lakers, go with AD at the five. You already started Morris with Davis the second half of game four. Come out from the jump with that same lineup in game five. And instead, Dwight started game five and did not look any better than he did in game four. Ended up playing 15 minutes and 25 seconds. Maybe it's, um, you know, a bit of insanity on my end to keep expecting something different, even though the same keeps happening. But I really am wondering, even more so than I was after game four now, whether we finally will see the Lakers not start a big in game six with Anthony Davis. Do you think they will go away from it? Or you think Frank Vogel just kind of sticks with it and, and hopes they can get off to a better start and, and puts Dwight in the starting lineup again? I think that if AD is close to 100%, I mean, that's going to be a big factor probably yeah. going forward. But if he is close to 100%, then I do think they got to consider completely excising Dwight from the rotation. Because I just don't, like, like, I don't know what he's giving them really. I understand maybe he can save AD a bit of the beating and he he did grab two offensive rebounds in this game and the offensive rebounding has been a big part of the Lakers' success in this series. But I think what he's giving back, just the fact that, I mean, he allows Miami to use Bam in the pick and roll. When the Lakers are downsized with AD at the five and AD is guarding Bam, it's like there's really no point in the Heat even using Bam as a screener because then... That's just going to get AD switched on to Butler. Or, you know, if it's LeBron guarding Bam, which is a look we've seen a lot of in the last couple of games as well, then same thing. You just get LeBron switched on to Jimmy. It's like you almost have to just go away from him as a screener. But anytime Dwight is guarding him, then Jimmy's they're using Bam as a screener and Jimmy's going at him in pick and roll. And they were doing a lot of switching in this game, you know, switching Dwight onto Jimmy Butler. And I think that's something that Butler's had a lot of success with this entire series is just going at Dwight. And I I just don't think that Dwight's giving them enough, especially because whoever is guarding him is taking that extra step into the paint any time that AD has a post-up or a face-up. He's seeing extra bodies, and Dwight being on the floor with him is not helping in that regard at all. So if he plays from here on out, I really think it's got to be just like a token start and not come out and start the second half. Like he played 15 minutes in this game, And that to me was like seven or eight minutes too many. 
So again, like also if, almost if it, got himself ejected for that. You know, and they ended up calling it a flagrant one, but it very easily could have been called a flagrant two when he kind of right. swiped. And swiped. he he already had a technical two from yeah. earlier in the game when he had that skirmish with Butler, and it's like to see he, he's kind of just falling back on that garbage. You know what I mean? Like yeah. tr- trying to get in Bam's head and Jimmy's head, like all the extracurricular, like jostling and running his mouth and just generally being a bit of a clown. And I think it's not worth it, you know, for the Lakers to put him out there to try and do his best Lance Stevenson impersonation. It's just not. His decision to take that swipe on Butler ended up being a six-point possession for the Heat. That's right. Because Jimmy, uh, it was a tie game. It was 70-70 to at that point in the third quarter. And Jimmy uh, converts the and one. So now it's 73-70. The Heat keep the ball because of the flagrant. And Duncan Robinson, I believe, drills a three out of it. That's a six-point possession on a foul, really, that like he wasn't going to stop the ball there anyway. Ends up you know, taking a stupid foul that results in a flagrant and, and ends up being, what, a three-point game? In what ended up being a one-possession game with a championship on the line, he took a foul that resulted in a six-point possession. Yeah. <laughs> Not great. This is kind of the conundrum for the Lakers, right? The Lakers are kind of built to be a big ball team. And so in so many ways, I do think they're better with AD at the five, just because I think AD is better at the five, especially in like this matchup. But if they're not getting the contributions that they need from their wings and guards, then those small Lakers lineups aren't actually that good. And so, you know, Caldwell Pope, I thought was pretty good in this game. Danny Green was okay. You know, that that last possession notwithstanding, but like Markeith Morris was not particularly good and Kyle Kuzma was really not good. Rondo had one of his worst games. Caruso was all right. Like he competes defensively every game, but offensively he didn't give them anything. So that makes it tough, right? Like they need more of those guys to play up to their capabilities or even above their capabilities for those small ball lineups to be really effective. And I think we saw, you know, especially in the Houston series, right? That, Rondo and Markeith Morris were fantastic and the Lakers were able to blow the doors off the Rockets because they were able to play small and get contributions up and down the small ball lineup. But if that's not happening, then I think, you know, the heaps, again, quote unquote, small ball lineups, which is just basically their normal lineup with Adebayo at the five are better. And so that's, that's kind of the issue, I guess, is like in terms of their roster construction, like the Lakers are built to play big, but now in this matchup, they're not getting anything from Dwight. I mean, they haven't even dusted off McGee at all. Not that I think he'd give them much of anything. And that's making it imperative that they get production from the guys who have to fill in the lineups with AD at the five. Yeah. I mean, look, they they needed one more guy to step up tonight and they didn't get it. As you mentioned, KCP and even Green, other than that last, you know, wide open brick, again, with a potential championship on the line, um, was fine. But they, they got nothing from anyone else. Like Dwight was bad. Kuzma was awful. Rondo, you know, I'm sure you were thrilled. Rondo had a very not playoff. Like Rondo was awful tonight. Caruso, I didn't think was so bad, but didn't I, I didn't give them enough. And then Markeith, just a really rough 22 minutes and 34 seconds where he didn't give them anything on the offensive end. Zero points on O of two shooting with three turnovers. So zero points on five possessions. Not exactly a good defender either. So yeah, just didn't give them much of anything. And then obviously on the last possession, LeBron draws in. I thought it was five on first watch. You rewatched it and, and counted four. But LeBron draws in 
four Heat defenders. Gets Danny Green, maybe the most open shot Danny Green has seen in like the last five years from straight away above the break. And Green comes up woefully short on it, finds its way to Markeith Morris with, I believe when he caught it, there was still, I want to say like six seconds left on the clock. And I get that, you know, it's much easier for us, like Monday morning quarterbacking the play to say, you should have done this, you should have done this. It's a very stressful situation. There's a lot of things to consider. You know, you don't want time to run out. You need to kind of get something off. But at the same time, like you're a professional basketball player in the finals, in the NBA finals, you need to have some sort of clock awareness. You know, I understand maybe right when you catch it, you don't know everything, where everyone is, what the clock is. But at some point, like the corner of your eye, that you got to realize that you need to know where everyone is. And with five, six, seven seconds left still on the clock when he catches it, and LeBron James so wide open on the right wing, Morris looks like he thinks about shooting it, doesn't, ends up trying to like loft it in kind of, I don't know whether it was supposed to be a regular entry pass or whether it was supposed to be a lob to AD for an alley-oop. It was either a regular entry pass that he completely mangled or a lob that he threw too low. Whatever the case was, it ended up in a turnover and the Heat get the ball, sink a couple free throws and end it. But man, I joke they got possessed by the spirit of the Henny God, J.R. Smith, who's on the Lakers bench, obviously wasn't nearly the same as J.R. Smith in game one of the 2018 finals for getting the score, but still pretty bad. And much like that J.R. Smith blunder at the end of game one of the 2018 finals, it ends up spoiling an otherwise legendary LeBron performance. Hopefully LeBron doesn't break his hand punching anything this time because his team still has a great shot to win the title whether that be Sunday or Tuesday. But man, I just can't, I can't imagine, not even for Lakers fans, but if you're LeBron James, to do what he did on Friday night and and to see Markeith Morris throw that ball away when he was as wide open as he was on a night when he also made six threes and he was standing on the perimeter. Like I just, I, I can't imagine what was going through his mind and what's still going through his mind reliving that. And honestly, what was going through Markeith's mind for that matter. Yeah, I mean, I think in Markeith's mind, he's just, it, it looked like he panicked, which sure. it, which is fair. Like, I, he didn't expect the ball to come to him, you know, let alone to come to him in basically no man's land with whatever it was, five seconds left in regulation. And to be fair, like, you know, Anthony Davis, I thought had actually pretty decent post position under the basket. Like, if that's a good pass, then Davis is in, in pretty good position to score. I don't think at any point Morris looked for LeBron because uh, if he had, you know, he would have found him, like you said, pretty wide open on the right wing. But obviously a couple big blunders from Markeith, the one on that Butler play that I mentioned when he jumps up on the wrong side of the screen and lets him stroll into the lane. And, and that was the play that put the heat ahead. And then that last play when he throws the ball away. But to kind of preemptively get ahead of this, because I don't know if anybody listening falls into this camp, but I know... This isn't just a straw man because I've seen it bouncing around. A lot of people saying it on Twitter that LeBron should have just tried to shoot the ball. Well, those people are idiots. I'm but sorry. I'm sorry to any of our listeners that I just called idiots, but it's on, just guys. like the look. Go back and look that, at the that, replay. That, he had four, I thought five heat defenders on him. Like, what do people want him to do? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that the, the bottom line is that Danny Green three. As much as you can say that, like Danny Green can't be trusted late in the finals game. Um, you know, forget the the fact that he 
has had some epic finals games in his own right, even if they were a few years ago. You can say that and like like that Danny Green shot wide open from straight away is still a higher percentage shot than whatever LeBron could have thrown up with four guys on him. Danny um, was also two of four from three before that tonight. Yeah. No, I mean, I think he's he, he actually had like a pretty decent game. He was a game high plus 12 yeah. in his 24 minutes on the floor. Like he was not bad by any means. And obviously the thing people are going to remember is how badly he missed that wide open three. But I mean, LeBron made the right play and... I don't know. That's just, it's a make or miss league, right? Like that's the way that these things go sometimes, but that was absolutely the right play. And it's disappointing that, you know, not just on that play, but pretty much that entire game, especially late, like the heat really loaded up on LeBron late and dared anybody else to beat them. And nobody really was able to, if LeBron wasn't doing it for them, they just didn't have anybody else who was stepping up to get it done. So Someone better step up for them besides LeBron on Sunday, especially if Anthony Davis is 100%. We don't know whether he will be or won't be. He was limping pretty badly at the end of Game 5, although he was still on the court. But, you know, Jimmy Butler mentioned in his post-game interview that they hope they can get Goran Dragic back in Game 6. Now, whether that's just Jimmy Butler, you know, stating the obvious, that they obviously hope they can get him back, or, you know, if that's Jimmy Butler maybe hinting at knowing something we don't know that Dragic is close to getting back I don't know but if Anthony Davis is banged up even a little and the Heat get Goran Dragic back like it would definitely be an interesting table turning of the finals because you know the Heat looked pretty dead in the water two games in with the injuries piling up down two nothing I thought they looked dead in the water four games in at 3-1 again man just credit Jimmy Butler's greatness that this has even gotten this far but Oh, they're, they're a few bounces away from being a few bounces away. Yeah, I mean, look, the Heat are just an impressive-ass team, man. I, I know it's cliche, and like generally we try to avoid these kind of cliches, but there really just is a strength of character about this team that is, I don't want to say it's like impervious to analysis, but it just, like there's only so much... X's and O's rationalization that you can do. And we've been over this before, right? And like the last couple rounds of the playoffs when I picked against the Heat and had to watch as all this sort of tactical minutiae, like it didn't exactly go out the window because there's a whole lot of tactical stuff that the Heat do incredibly well. But I think they do have like some intangible it that has, you know, allowed them to pull out these close games. Uh, and maybe part, part of that, again, just like comes down to the team's conditioning. And I mentioned Duncan Robinson and the fact that like he was still able to be out there sprinting off of screens 37 minutes into a game in which he'd done nothing but run around. And Jimmy Butler is still out there barreling to the rim and getting to the free throw line after playing 47 minutes. Maybe it's just that. But I also just think there's a there's an element of empowerment, I guess, um, in the way that, the heat have operated all year long that I think has given everybody who is part of their rotation, essentially the confidence to be in these situations and to essentially execute their role to a T and they don't get rattled and whatever the situation, like they seem to have the answers for it. And even in a situation where, you know, they appear to be outgunned, they still play like they expect to win every game. Did you read Gary Payton's piece in the Players Tribune uh, a couple days ago? Earlier this no, week? No, I didn't. It was really good. It was uh, it 
kind of was like a behind the scenes look at everything you know you were just talking about and we've talked about throughout this playoff run about those like immeasurable intangibles and and the heat culture you know specifically this heat team obviously but heat culture in general being impervious to analysis talked about his year with the heat when they won the title in 2006 and just about the the heat culture and like what it means and what it's like being a part of it and why it's impossible to describe and he talks about how he understands how like people reading this maybe won't get it or will think that it doesn't matter or will see it as like, well, every team wants to win and every player in the NBA wants it. But like he, it's cool because he's, he's acknowledging those built in obvious things and is still saying, but you don't understand like the belief that you need to have to even make it in Pat Riley's heat culture. And it was just really good. He talked about different things, like even like pep talks Riley gave them throughout that season. He talked about, you know, some of the pep talks Riley gave them in game three, down two nothing to Dallas and how Riley, whether he believed it or not, internally, at least externally, like really did exude this belief to his players. Like, look, we're going to win this series. Like we're going to be all right. I just need to know who in this huddle is with me. Who's ready to do this with me and with Dwayne and with Shaq. And if you're not, that's cool. Sit on the sidelines. But like, we're going to find five guys or more that are of that same mindset and we're going to get the job done. We're going to win a championship. And it's just, again, it's one of those things where it's like, I'm sure there are plenty of coaches that would say the same thing, That, but something about when it's Pat Riley, who's now the president, or you know, even Eric Spolster now was really absorbed that heat culture from him. And, and then you find the right guys, the guys that as Gary Payton says in the piece, and as Jimmy Butler has said, like the dogs, right? Like the guys who are dogs in the league. And you put that in that, put them in that culture and like there is something to it you know obviously you need the talent too and uh, Jimmy Butler has it Bam Adebayo has it it's not like this is as I've been saying all year it's not like this team is just grimy like they're also pretty damn good um, yeah no I don't want to shortchange their talent right, right. But, and but I, I think it's to it's, that immeasurable kind of like grit belief fitness level heart like whatever it is that like most of the times that team's gonna come out on top I, it's just tough like because I know that there is like a, an element of survivorship bias that colors all of this. You know, like the team that is there at the end of the day is the one that we're going to look to and be like, oh, they had all the answers or they had the formula. And that ignores some context a lot of the time. And the fact that there is an element of luck involved and bounces that could have gone either way. And the element of variance that goes into jump shooting in general, like so many other factors. And you know, I don't want to just come out here and say like the Heat just wanted it more than like the Celtics did or the Raptors did or even the Bucks did. Like, but I just think, you know, this is one of those teams who and I do think part of it is the fact that I was so wrong about them. And so maybe that has given me almost like a greater appreciation for what they've done. But I just think they have impressed me so much in in the way that they have executed, the way that they have fought and um the, the way that, you know, they've gotten to where they are, like, you know, heading into game six of the finals against what I would consider pretty long odds. I got one more question for you. Hit me. These are Jimmy Butler's stats through five finals games. 29 points, 8.6 rebounds, 10.2 assists, 2.6 steals, 55.8% field goal shooting, 92% from the line on 10 free throw attempts per game. If... The Heat lose game six, but he has a game that is essentially in line with what he's done so far. What kind of consideration would you be giving him for finals MVP? None. 
None. <laughs> That's not a knock on Jimmy. Similar to the way in the NHL, even though it's not a finals MVP, it's for the whole playoffs, but similar to the way in the NHL, once in a blue moon, there will be, whether it's a hot goalie or whatever, on the losing team in the finals that wins playoff MVP. I think the NBA should be more open to that. NBA media should be more open to that. I thought LeBron should have won finals MVP when the Cavs lost in six in 2015 when Iguodala won it. Because if you go, you know, that's the series when Kyrie and Love weren't there and LeBron dragged that team to six games on even better numbers than Jimmy Butler's posting right now. So I'm I'm completely open to a losing player getting it. And obviously, as I've mentioned throughout this podcast, I am very much in awe of what Jimmy Butler's doing. He deserves his flowers. Having said that, I think tonight's a perfect example. Like Jimmy Butler did what he did tonight and he still wasn't the best player on the court. You know what I mean? Like if he was doing this and it was, and you know, LeBron wasn't having a good series or AD, like I'd get it. And if, if you compare what Jimmy's doing to AD in this series, I'd give it to Jimmy, but I still think LeBron has been the best overall player in this series. I think he was the best overall player in this game. And I think, I think it would take a really Herculean effort from Jimmy Butler and a, a, a clear off game from LeBron for Jimmy Butler to get my vote if I had a vote for finals MVP. I just think LeBron's too good and has been too good even in this series for Jimmy to steal it without winning it. I think that's totally fair. LeBron's been unbelievable. And and honestly, Davis has been unbelievable too. Yeah. I think, you know, it was seemed like it was, you know, a debate for a while. And even though, like, I think it's so insanely stupid to, like, debate who should be finals MVP after like two finals games. People wanted to talk about it and AD certainly had a case, especially after those first two games. Like he was, he was the Lakers best player in those first two games. And obviously, you know, the, the injury seemed to play a factor in it tonight, but uh, I think LeBron has kind of separated himself over the last few games of this series. And um, I think he was certainly the guy who was carrying the Lakers tonight. I thought, you know, he was the guy who was carrying them, for the most part, in game four as well. And again, like, you know, I I have no issue admitting when I'm wrong. I do it a lot. (laughs) I I spent most of the season kind of waffling back and forth between who I thought the best player in the world was between Giannis and Kawhi. And uh, I I think, you know, I've never had any real doubts about LeBron. Never not thought that he was... Well, not never, but like never in the past few years have I have I thought that he wasn't, you know, one of the two greatest players of all time. And he's essentially been in that top three conversation throughout these last few years. But I did think that he was kind of a notch below those guys this year. And I think he's proven throughout this playoff run that he is still the king. He's still the number one guy. At age 35. At age 35 in year 17. It's with, it's insane, man. 59,000 NBA minutes under his belt. Yeah, third all time, right? Yeah. Regular season and playoffs combined. Yeah. And he's still the best player in the world. Like yeah. there's no way to contextualize that. Like it just I don't know. You can it say it as much logic. as you want, but like it defies logic. Yeah. And what we know about the human body, the limits of the human body. Unfortunately, we do not possess the same superhuman abilities as LeBron James. So we're going to have to call it a day here. We're not going to make it to forty seven twelve like Jimmy Butler did. But we will be back, I assume Monday after game six because at that point we'll either be talking about LeBron winning his fourth championship and the Lakers you know with their record tying 17th championship or we'll be talking about Jimmy Butler in the heat somehow pushing this thing to game seven so I think either way you can expect to hear from us at some point Monday but until then enjoy your weekend listeners enjoy your weekend Wolf on thanks <laughs> and and we'll catch up Monday
for Joe Wolf, I'm Joseph Cachado. Pound the Rock.